What's up, punks? Welcome back to the Poker Punks Podcast. This is episode number eight, Resist the Siren Song. In this episode, I am going over some situations that I played in a session a little while ago where I am getting into pots with weak to marginal hands in the wrong position at the wrong time and how I'm navigating these and the results thereof. So, without further ado, let's get to some hands. In this first hand, we are on the button and we look down at Queen of Hearts, Jack of Diamonds. Middle position raises to $20. The low jack, high jack, cut off, all call. When it gets to me, Instead of three betting here, I just call as well, and the big blind comes along as well, and we have a $122 pot. So what did I do wrong so far? Well, the first thing I did wrong here is looking at a hand like Queen-Jack offsuit and thinking that it is worth a call. This is a hand that is not going to play well post-flop because a lot of times when there are that many callers in there, you could get into a situation where you are dominated if you flop top pair with a queen or a jack by having someone have something like ace-jack, ace-queen, and when you hit your top pair with your marginal kicker, you're just going to be bled to value town and donk off chips that you really shouldn't have to. The thing that I could do here is when I have that many callers in between the initial razor is I should either be looking to three bet or fold. Hands like this aren't going to play well multi-way, and if we can get it heads up, that's a much better scenario for us. Or if we are able to just take down the pot now without a showdown, without even going to a flop, that is optimal because I could have taken down $80 to $100 here without any effort if I would have three vet properly and the uh, middle position player was opening light because we can assume that the low jack, high jack, and cutoff are all pretty light here since they didn't three bet themselves. Anyway, we went to a flop multi-way here and that flop came off king of hearts, jack of spades, four of diamonds. So here we are in the exact scenario I didn't want to be in where we have middle pair, marginal kicker, and there is an overcard on the board and a lot of draws here. It checks to the cutoff, who is not the original raiser, and that person bets $55. So instead of realizing that we are most likely beat here in a six-way pot, I decide to call anyway. The big blind also calls, and the other players fold out. So now we are three ways to a turn with $287 in the pot. And that card is the five of clubs, so a complete brick. It really doesn't do anything to interact with the board other than put a backdoor straight draw for a wheel or uh, a 6-7 type of hand. But those aren't the type of hands that are going to be calling a $55 bet on the flop. So when it checks to us, we decide that the cutoff could be weak. The big blind is not going to have too much of a hand here, and we might be able to get them off of a one-pair hand. We bet out for $85, which really isn't that big of a bet. If you think about it, it is about a little more than a one-third bet. 
Uh, it's really not going to do a whole lot to get rid of a weak top pair. Fortunately for us, the big blind folds, but unfortunately for us, the cutoff decides to make the call. So with $457 in the pot, we get a two of clubs on the river. The cutoff checks to us, and we are in a spot here where a backdoor straight draw did come in, but there's not really much chance of him having that straight because there was no other draws out there that could be realistically represented here. Uh, the draws that come in are 3-6 and ace-3. They are very unlikely considering there was no flush draw to go along with them. And unless this player was just blasting off with ace high, I really can't put him on a straight here. But what type of hands could be in the cutoff's range? He could have a hand like ace queen or queen 10 that had an up and down straight draw or gut shot that didn't get there. And those type of hands we are beating with our pair. The type of hands that we are not beating are any kind of king x hand or an ace jack or or jack four, things like that. So with all of that in mind, I really don't know what I am beating here that could call, and I don't know what the point is in betting if I don't think I'm going to get called by worse. And we decide to eventually check it back, and not really too much to our shock, the villain has king of diamonds, queen of spades. So what's the lesson here? First lesson is offsuit Broadway cards are not the best candidates to go multi-way. In this situation, if I would have three bet the pre-flop, most likely this uh, offsuit king queen would have folded. The middle position player who opened maybe would have folded, maybe would have called, but he did not have any kind of big pair because he did not bet the flop and he folded to the initial flop bet. So by having our pedal to the metal, so to speak, if we would have three bet, we could have probably picked up this small pot without any kind of battle and we could have saved ourselves a bunch of money that we dumped off by just calling and calling down for two streets, well, one street betting, one street calling, where we did not have the best hand. We have to remember that a lot of recreational players are not going to three bet, especially not marginal hands, and they're not gonna also raise hands pre-flop. The king-queen offsuit is fine for a raise if you're in late position and first in the pot. It doesn't play great when you are just calling, even in late position because there's a lot of hands out there that could dominate you. The thing that you want to remember is aggression is king. If you're not willing to three bet a hand, you really shouldn't be calling it either. The type of hands that you want to call out of position or in position pre-flop for an open are things that will either flop well or flop nothing that you can get away from like middle to low pocket pairs, where if you flop middle or bottom set, you can usually get paid off by a top pair or top two hand. Uh, this type of hand, unless I'm flopping the nuts with something like ace-king-10, it's really a hand that's not going to play well post-flop because a lot of hands that continue are going to have you dominated.
For the next hand, we are in the cutoff and we look down at King of Clubs, Nine of Clubs. We raise first in the pot to $20, the small blind calls, then the big blind decides to three bet us to $75. And both myself and the small blind decide to just make the call. The pot is $225 and we are off to a flop. But before I get to that flop, what am I really thinking that this three bet from the big blind represents? It's not going to represent a thin three bet. He's going to have a lot of thick value here because he is not incentivized to three bet light here because I am raising from the cutoff, yes. So he could try and test me to see if I'm raising light. But by having the small blind already call my raise, he has to get that raise through two players. And to be honest, this is not a very large three bet. He made it another $55. So it's really a weak three bet. And with it going three ways and us having not that great a hand, this is just a spot where, A, I could have either not opened here, which eh, it's marginal. I, I can open this hand. That's not anything that I'm uh, too ashamed of. But when it gets three bet, even for a small size, it's really not a hand that's going to play well to a big blind three betters range because they're going to have a lot of kings that have me dominated. So unless I exactly flop queen 10 jack, it's really going to be a tough uphill battle to win this pot after calling this three bet. Anyway, we did go to a flop, and that flop was queen of clubs, deuce of clubs, seven of spades. It checks to the big blind, who now bets $125. And this is where I should be abandoning ship. I should say, great, yeah, I have second nut flush draw, but this player three bet out of position, he is now betting a little bit more than half pot. And it's not just that it's half pot. It's a fairly large bet for this game. Uh, but in the moment, I'm looking at it as I have nine outs to improve plus backdoor straight draws. And I decide to make the call. This is when the small blind then wakes up and re-raises to $325. The big blind tanks for a minute and then ends up folding, and it's back on me. At this point, I should really know that I am far behind, and I will be lucky if my flush is even good. The type of hands that small blind could be raising here are nut flush draws, two pair or sets. There is nothing else they are three betting to this size with. In this size, it just screams, I have a set and I'm afraid of a flush. And if you're going to chase it, I'm going to make you pay for it. But in the moment, that siren song of I can make a flush here is just too strong for me to ignore. And I end up tanking and calling the 325. This is a terrible call in my situation because I've had two players bet out and the, another player raise. It's just not worth it. There's so many times where I might 
end up hitting my hand with, say, a seven of clubs and just be completely drawing dead. Or I could hit my hand with, say, the ace of clubs, great, but then the ace of diamonds hits the river, or the two of diamonds, or the queen of diamonds, and I'm just in a world of hurt where I'm like, where am I? Am I any good here? Am I just completely dead? Anyway, we go to a turn, and that turn is the ace of diamonds. Small blind then quickly jams all in for 625 effective, and we quickly just come to our senses and decide, okay, we're done with this, let's go on to the next one. And the villain promptly shows one of those hands that we exactly put him on now, which is the two of hearts and the two of diamonds. He flopped bottom set, he played it great, I played it terribly, because I should have been folding to the initial three bet and let him and the big blind go at it. But instead, I got sticky, and sometimes sticky is the worst thing to be because you are going to be sticking around a lot of times with second best or third best or fourth best and really shouldn't be in there because one of the names of the game, especially at low limit, is when someone gets aggressive, They've got something big. And you don't want to be battling for pots with marginal hands against aggressive recreational players. Because an aggressive recreational player is a nutted recreational player. They do not get aggressive with bluffs and draws. So when you see a rec player getting aggressive, that should be your cue to exit stage right. For this next hand, we are again in the cutoff, and we look down at Ace of Diamonds, Ten of Clubs. Under the Gun raises first into $20, and I am the only caller in the cutoff. Now, you might say, well, you've got an ace. That's a great hand to call with. Except, I have an offsuit ace-ten. This is pretty much the worst hand I can realistically call with here, and it's really not a realistic call. If I have ace-queen, I don't mind a call. I prefer a three-bet. If I have ace-jack suited, I prefer a three-bet. Unsuited, I probably lean towards a fold. Uh, ace-ten, especially off-suit, should be a fold. If I want to get involved, the better aces to get involved with here, aside from any kind of suited ace-king or ace-queen, would be your suited wheel aces, your ace five, your ace four, your ace three, because not only are you able to flop flushes with those, you're able to flop straights with those. And especially the low end wheel ones, those are not the type of hands that people are going to put you on when you are calling or three betting in position or out of position. So those are the type of hands that are probably going to get you paid more when you hit something like your straight or your two pair, because if you're up against a better ace and you flop two pair, you are going to bleed them because they are going to believe that their kicker is playing. So while I would think now that this would definitely be just a fold and move along because this ace is not good enough to make a call, if I were the first one in the pot, I would definitely be raising this, especially from the cutoff, because I could just try and steal the blinds or at least be in position for the rest of the hand and try and make a hand that way. 
as it was, we went to a flop with $57 in the pot. That flop was eight of diamonds, six of diamonds, three of hearts. The villain now bets out for $40, and instead of just folding now, which I should have done pre-flop, I decide to float and make a call with a couple backdoor draws and two overs. There's $137 in this pot, and the turn is the Queen of Spades. At this point, the villain fires for $85, and we finally get the message and decide that this hand is not worth continuing with. But what's the moral here? Yes, you have an ace, but it is not that good of an ace. Again, this is the sirens calling the sailors to their doom on the cliffs, just like in all the Greek folklore, where you're just lighting $60 on fire in this hand. And you really don't need to, because even though you have an ace, even though it is a Broadway ace, it is the worst of the Broadway aces, and it is unsuited to boot. So if you did flop a hand where you had a flush draw with the club, you're really going to have no clue whether or not you have a good flush draw or a bad flush draw, and it's really not worth getting involved with, especially if you're not the aggressor. Now, if you wanted to try and take this hand and three-bet it, that's not the worst thing in the world. But to an under-the-gun raiser, you really should be giving a little bit more respect and just fold out these weak aces and play your hands in position that are more worthy of a three-bet where you'll have a lot better equity in the hand. And for the last hand that I'm going to go over today, the hero is in the big blind with Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Clubs. Under the gun, under gun plus one, both limp, and then the middle position player decides to bump it up to $20. The button and the small blind both call, and again, like the first hand, instead of deciding to either fold or put in a three bet, we decide hey, we're getting a good price here, let's go to town and try and make something. And we call along, and under the gun, under the gun plus one, also come along for the ride. And we have a six-way pot yet again with $120 in it. And this is just a recipe for disaster because Unlike the first hand where I actually had a little bit of position, this hand I am completely out of position for the entire hand with a weak marginal hand at best and really shouldn't be in here. There's no reason to be defending here and it is just lighting money on fire. Anyway, we go to a flop and that flop is eight of spades, six of spades, three of hearts. To my complete surprise, it completely checks through. We go to a turn, which is the Ace of Diamonds. And this is where the devil on my shoulder gets the best of me. And when the small blind checks to me and I think, hey, this flop checked through, I would have thought any ace would have taken a stab at it. Maybe I can pick this pot up here for a bet. So I bet $55, just under a half pot size bet. And to my chagrin, the under-the-gun player calls and everyone else folds. So what should this say to me? Well, either under-the-gun has a spade flush draw, an ace, 
a set that they're slow playing, or they've got to have something better than queen jack with no draw and no spade and no nothing. But hubris is a powerful drug sometimes and makes you think that you can push people off of hands when in actuality they are never folding, and this is probably one of those times. To make matters worse, we see the queen of spades on the river. At this point, I'm thinking, wow, I think I may have gotten there. I think I might be good. Luckily for me, I do have some semblance of sense realizing the spade flush came in and that I have some showdown value that I could win the hand with, and I decide to check. This is when the villain decides to fire $400 into a pot of $330. When it comes back to me, I start to think that this bet seems a little fishy because it is a bet that is screaming, I missed, I don't want you to call, or I'm afraid, I don't want you to call. And part of me is really contemplating making the hero call here with second pair. Luckily, as I'm deliberating, I really just start thinking, you know, it's a lot of money into a pot that's not even that big. Do I really need to make a hero call here? I've only invested $75 in this pot. Do I really need to throw another 400 in there just to find out that this guy has something like Ace-2 offsuit and that I am just getting completely owned? Luckily for me, I come to my senses before I put in chips and I decide to fold my hand. And at that point, the under the gun player proudly turns over ace of spades, king of spades for the turn top pair rivered nut flush. Luckily for me, I did come to my senses before putting in a boatload of money that I really didn't need to. And I was able to get away from the worst of my uh devil on my shoulder, call off and be a hero type of advice that I was getting from part of my brain. The moral of this story is this should have been a fold preflop, but when you don't have proper ranges and proper position, you can get yourself into some sticky situations that could cost you a lot of money. All right, punks, thanks for joining us for episode eight, Resist the Siren Song. And one thing that I want to say is I've been getting a lot of good feedback from everybody who's been listening to the podcast, exploring it, finding out about it. I really appreciate um, some of the emails and feedback that I've been getting. Uh, Please keep it up. Anything that I can do to make this podcast better, I am all about doing. Uh, I really appreciate the interaction that I've been getting from some of the people on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, It's been great. It's been a lot of fun for me personally doing this. It's been making me look at the way that I'm playing and trying to elevate my play to a higher standard and it's really been helping with my win rate which is always the best thing to see and if you like what you're hearing if you like what i'm doing here with the podcast please throw us a review on spotify apple wherever you're getting this podcast from that'd be great but even better let your friends know about it 
let anybody that you know that's into poker and into poker podcasts know about it uh, because spreading the word is the best way to get this thing to grow. I know that I pick up a lot of the podcasts that I listen to by listening to other podcasts and hearing them either interview someone that I think is interesting and then finding out about their work or just even randomly seeing something on Twitter or Facebook about a new podcast or a new content creator and checking out their stuff. And, you know, sometimes I think it's great stuff and I keep listening to it. Sometimes I look at it and I start to critique, oh, I would do this different, I would do that different. It's all good. It's great that there's so many creators out there creating content in the poker space and all of it's aimed at helping us get better as players. And me, I'm just trying to do my small part with that. So like I said, if you could leave any kind of review, like, anything like that, or even better, just let your friends know about it to expand the uh, listenership, that would be awesome. Again, next note, uh, pokerpunks.com for any kind of merch. There's some merch over there if you have any desire for that. Um, and also, if you want to have me review a hand uh, that you've played that you had questions about and see how I might have played the hand, there's a hand submission tab on pokerpunks.com where you can submit a hand. And if it's something that I think goes well on the podcast, I will review it on the podcast. Uh, either way, if I put it on the podcast or not, you'll definitely get a response from me. Uh, I really like the interaction that's been going on so far and being able to uh, interact with the community and look over hands because I know one of the things that I do, I have a few friends that when I have an interesting hand, I'll go over it with them to see how they might have played it to see either what I think I might have done good, what I might have done bad. Um, not necessarily that I think any one line is great or worst. Um, there's definitely different shades of gray that any hand can be, but I like to bounce ideas off people and see if my thinking was in line with what they would think or completely out of line with what they would think. Uh, and I like to do that for other people as well. That's why I have that hand submission on pokerpunks.com. And if you do submit a hand and I use it for the podcast, I will send you free of charge a Poker Punks card protector, which you can see at pokerpunks.com in the web store. Uh, it's a little... Uh, coin protector that I had a friend of mine do the graphics for and it has call on one side and fold on the other for those times where you really just can't decide and want to let fate decide for you whether you call or fold you can flip the coin and let fate decide for you uh, one note with that pokerpunks and pokerpunks.com are not responsible for you winning or losing any pots because of a coin flip anyway Hopefully, we will see you again next week for the next episode. And as always, make sure to run it up the punks.